Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Creature Feature, production of iHeartRadio. I'm your host of Mini Parasites, Katie Golden. I studied psychology and evolutionary biology, and today on the show, Pit Vipers of America... From rattlesnakes to copperheads, we're talking about some of America's most dangerous cutie noodles. How does their venom work? Do they really want to bite your stinky old leg? And how should we respect nature's most potent linguini? Discover this and more as we answer the age-old question, why are we injecting horses with snake venom? Joining me today is naturalist, friend to snakes, and co-host of the Natural Science Podcast, the We Out Here podcast, Alexi Grusis. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Katie. I really appreciate it. Uh, you know, I'm excited to talk about snakes and pretty much anything under the sun, including the things that bask in. Yes, uh, that <laughs> I love that turn of phrase. I do love snakes. Uh, and I think that I like to often point out some snakes on the show that are not venomous, you know, the the sort of friendly snakes of the world. But I also think that we should still love and appreciate the more dangerous snakes, the snakes that know mm-hmm. you should not cuddle, but mm-hmm. they are still wonderful creatures, very amazing. Even their venom is amazing, even though you don't want it inside of you, really. 
so I wanted to talk about pit vipers, and the most famous pit vipers in the U.S. are rattlesnakes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, rattlesnakes. There are um, 36 species of rattlesnakes, and even more subspecies, and they are found all throughout the Americas. And yes, they are in fact highly venomous, aren't they? <laughs> they are. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that venom is is a pretty unique and special feature of these venomous snakes because they're able to inject it through their fangs, like actually through their teeth, which is pretty spectacular, pretty wild. Yeah, this was what was interesting because as I was researching it, I was starting to like write up stuff about like, no, it's not like a syringe. It's like the Mm -hmm. venom runs through a groove because that is how Mm -hmm. it is with other venomous species. But no, with these guys, it is actually like a syringe. They have these hollow Mm -hmm. fangs and a venom gland that actually squeezes it right into the fang. Mm Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So what what one thing that I find actually incredibly interesting about that is there's a whole apparatus going on inside of there uh, from the venom gland to the part that's actually squeezing it to a gland that or uh, a part that actually activates the venom before it is injected. So that venom that's trapped inside of their head isn't even the full venom that uh, that's injected into their prey. Yeah, it is. It is amazing. So even though, you know, it is kind of scary, it is an incredibly complex uh, apparatus that they are using. Despite the fact that they have such a fancy mouth weapon, they really don't want to use it on you, a bumbling human who's uh, stamping around in their environment. They want to use it on their prey and it is only really a last resort when it comes to humans or predators. Snakes don't really want to waste a lot of energy producing their venom. Uh, you know, they want to save it primarily for their food. That's what it's uh, originally adapted for. These snakes use it as a way to subdue prey instead of constricting them. Uh, and they don't really want to waste it on a person's foot. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, this is it's pr- precious material. And they do not want to waste it on you. And so they will try to warn you to leave them alone with their fabulous rattles. So that rattle is their way of saying, hey, back off. I don't want to bite you. You don't want to get bitten. Let's just have this situation resolved peacefully so I can go back to injecting mice with powerful toxins. So exactly. (laughs) The rattle, unlike a man-made rattle where it's like a hollow chamber filled with something inside that rattles around, it's actually a series of hollow chambers made of keratin that stack on top of one another. And when vibrated, these hard hollow segments strike one another and produce a loud rattling sound, at least in the larger Mm -hmm. species. And the rattling muscles of rattlesnakes are some of the fastest muscles in the animal kingdom with 50 pulses per second, which is incredible. That's bananas. I did not know that. That's that's incredible. It's not surprising because when you see a rattlesnake rattling, you don't actually see it rattling. It's moving yeah. so fast that it just sometimes it can look like it's completely still. Yeah, it is it is spectacular and it's it's actually really interesting that they have this rattling system because it 
develops over the snake's lifetime throughout their various shedding cycles. So when they're born, they just have this like little nub that can't rattle. It's just this one little segment. And every time they shed, they actually are able to add a new segment to their rattles. So only after their second shedding can they actually rattle because now they have two segments of the rattle. And every time it sheds, it adds a new segment. So with regard to those uh, those rattles, a really cool thing that was recently that's recently been found is that they not only provide a sound cue, but they can also theoretically have a visual cue. And what I mean by that is they are biofluorescent. Mm. So under a black light, they actually fluoresce. They show up being bright green under a black light. Uh, and so the question now is, is there any benefit to having a fluorescent rattle like that? Because uh, so few animals can actually see ultraviolet light. Uh, but the ones that do, this rattle would show up in a whole new light for them. That is so cool. I didn't know that. And mm -hmm. it seems like every day we discover more animals that biofluoresce. Like we just have to mm -hmm. run a black light over every living creature because so many of them biofluoresce. But yeah, that is that is really interesting. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I I love that. Secret, secret glowing snake tails. Yeah, it shattered my mind when I first heard about it. Yeah. Yeah, another kind of secret power that these rattlesnakes have, I mean, they are mm -hmm. pit vipers, and they're called pit vipers, not because they are vipers mm -hmm. who are like writhing around in a pit, but because they have these heat-sensing <laughs> pits on the sides of their faces. So these are sensory organs that can detect thermal energy, like a thermal imaging camera. Yeah, yeah. And for the longest time, I'd understood that as, oh, they can like feel the heat in a specific way. But no, they're able to create from what we understand, because it's really hard to actually see into the mind of an animal. But from the best understanding we have, we think they can like they can produce 3D images in their own minds and incredibly similar to our vision, uh, which is pretty, pretty wild when you really start thinking about that. Yeah, that is so cool. They have they have heat sensing imaging, sort of like some kind of Jason mm -hmm. Bourne thing going on with these snakes. Right. Uh, which is right built in. Yeah. And it's really cool because, I mean, their eyes uh, are, while they're very sensitive to movement, they don't really see in high mm -hmm. definition. So probably right, right. for a while we've thought about these snakes not having great vision, but working with those thermal imaging cameras they have in their face pits, it's like maybe they actually do have pretty good uh, sort of um, precise imaging uh, that we just didn't know about because we looked at their eyes and they're like, ah, oh, their eyes don't, you know, their eyes have blurry vision. So how can, how can they make up uh, well-defined images of their environment? Right. And, and we don't consider them a very, you know, very intelligent animals like elephants and orcas, but you really have to give it up for their brain for being able to process that much information because that's so much more sensory information than we're, we're receiving. Uh, because they can also, you know, hear through their jaws. They can feel vibrations through their belly. Uh, they're seeing those heat images. They're taking in, uh, you know, dimensional smells with their forked tongue. Like they're processing a lot of sensory information in their environment. And for them to be able to do that, utilize it, and make decisions in their lives is 
That's that's kind of mind blowing. Yeah, that is absolutely amazing. They're like a one of the most uh, advanced cameras in the world mm-hmm. that can have night vision and heat vision that can also slither around and make decisions. Yeah, yeah. So incredible. Yes, they have a very good sense of smell as well as do mm-hmm. all snakes. They can use their nostrils and they also use their tongue to sort of flick. They flick out their tongue mm-hmm. and kind of pull in smelly particles and transfer them to an olfactory or- organ located on the roof of their mouth. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, which makes them just the ultimate detection uh, machine. And it makes a lot of sense because they are ambush predators. They don't necessarily go chasing after their prey. They lay in wait or try to sneak up to some of their prey and then strike quickly at them to get them before these little mice and little reptiles even know what hit them. Yeah, yeah. And a pretty cool thing, the pit vipers that we have here, a lot of their uh, a lot of their pits are oriented towards the front of their snout, uh, and that allows them to see those uh, you know those small rodents, uh, typically or birds uh, that pass in front of them. Whereas there's a, there's another type of snake called the children's python that is uh, it's a python, non venomous snake, a constrictor that lives in Australia. It's one of the smallest constrictors they have there. This one is a cave dweller. Uh, so it'll actually climb up the walls of the caves with its incredibly muscular body. And when bats fly by, it's able to catch these bats. And so when you think about it, it wouldn't want its pits uh, in the front of its face. Instead, this python has pits located on the sides of its jaw so that it actually can see the bat coming. So the location of the pit can actually tell us a little bit about the type of prey it's going for. And that pit development is definitely a response to the environment that the snake is living in. That is so cool. It's like, hey, I've got mm-hmm. some bat as prey that have wings and can fly around my head. No problem. I'll just put my heat detecting super sensors up over here so they can detect these bats. Yeah. That is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. To be able to like predict their movement with that is, wow. I'm just I'm mind blown even just talking about it right now. I also love the cave-dwelling snake. I don't think we think of pythons, uh, or I don't think we think of snakes as uh, living in caves, but yes, they will inhabit mm-hmm. every niche that they can. Yeah, yeah. Pretty spe- spectacular. And when you live in, you know, dark environments like that, uh, a lot of animals will develop specialized eyes for it, or, you know, their eyes may virtually go away. Right. Don't need them. <laughs> right. So with snakes, a lot of snakes will have this slit pupil. And that isn't an indicator of whether or not a snake is venomous or non-venomous. It's actually an indicator of whether or not the snake is active in dim light. Mm. Uh, That's the biggest teller. Because if you think about it, a cat has the same type of eye. A cat is not venomous as much as they can be pretty spicy. (laughs) So these snakes uh, that have a slit pupil, typically they're going to be active in really low light. On top of that, a slit pupil is typically only good if you live near a low sur- or near a surface. So cats, house cats are pretty pretty short animals. So they, you know, they live near the ground. Whereas a tiger, they can be pretty active during the nighttime. They actually have a circular pupil. Uh so you'll see a lot of venomous snakes uh like cobras will have a circular pupil. Whereas a lot of other venomous snakes like these pit vipers in the US, 
a lot of them do have these uh, these slit pupils. That is so fascinating. I love that. Mm-hmm. Snakes really are like uh, rattlesnakes. Really are kind of like noodle cats, but with venom. They are, yeah. <laughs> especially the especially the canebrake rattlesnake, or a lot of people know them as uh, timber rattlesnakes. Oh yeah. Uh, they're you know they you don't want to get bitten by them. You don't want to cuddle them. You want to respect their space. But man, they are big puppies. <laughs> especially you know anyone who's actually handled one with snake hooks and proper equipment and training. Uh, they yeah they're they're just big big sausages. Yeah. Just big cute sausages. Aww, cute. Big old head. Big old body. <laughs> short. <laughs> I love that. Yes. I mean, I think that it is just because these snakes are dangerous when they bite doesn't mean that they are aggressive. Uh, In fact, I Mm -hmm. think from what I've read, most of the pit vipers uh, who are the more the more deadly in terms of their toxicity, they tend to be less aggressive, whereas some of the more aggressive ones tend to be a little less venomous. That's not always the case, but uh, it, it does seem like that is often the case. Yeah, yeah, and different different species can uh, can be in more responsive than others, and that can depend on a lot of different factors on whether or not they have other signifiers yeah. of their toxicity, or you know if they have better camouflage or not. Uh, it can also be affected of by you know what sort of predators they may have in the area. Uh, something that I you know as as someone who's trained to handle venomous snakes and often does, uh, one of the most important things that we understand is that the majority of really bad snake bites and the majority of snake bites period are coming from people who are inappropriately or attempting to handle and mainly people who are trying to kill mm. venomous snakes. A lot of times when folks are trying to trying to kill a snake they find that is when they get bitten. Yeah. So if you do find a venomous snake in your area and you're not comfortable with where it's at, it's always good to call an expert, yes. you know, a lot of them will come out for free and will move the snake. Uh, you can always call up your local zoo. Uh, and they can oftentimes connect you with someone who can handle that for you or local animal control, um, especially if they have the proper handling and permitting. Yeah, don't try to kill a rattlesnake. And yeah. don't even, like, if, it's... if you see a, a rattlesnake or any snake that also looks dead, don't pick it up cause, and don't mess yeah, around with it because yeah. they can still be highly venomous even when they are yeah. dead. So you really just Mm -hmm. don't want to mess with these guys. Uh, Just leave them alone unless you are highly trained. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. A lot of times if uh, if you see a snake, uh, a venomous one that is living around your house, chances are you got something around your house that's drawing them in. Yeah. So the best way to really get rid of snakes if you have too many in your area or you're not comfortable with them, usually it's to get rid of the mice. You know, if yeah. you can handle the mice in your area and if you can get rid of your pest problem, it's going to stop drawing in the predators who rely on those pests for food. Yeah. See, they're they're noodle cats with spicy bites. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And the the number one best way to handle venomous snakes in your area is to support animals like king snakes, mm-hmm. uh, support your local raptors. And then also, if you live in the southeast, you know, supporting conservationists who relocate indigo snakes. Indigo snakes are the largest snake, I believe, that we have in North America, getting up to like nine feet long, and they will eat uh, a snake as big as an eastern diamondback. Wow. Which is insane. <laughs> uh, you could probably find some good videos. I've seen a few on Twitter of scientists who ran across uh, an indigo snake consuming a an eastern diamondback. That is, uh, and that is incredible. Just wild. Wow. Yeah, yeah. In Even in the areas that indigos were re, uh, reintroduced in like Alabama, 
they're actually seeing a really positive response in the bird population. A lot of these birds have started uh, growing in population thanks to the relocation of these snakes. It's just, it's so important to preserve species because of the interconnectedness of them where, you know, instead of thinking like, mm -hmm. we've got to eliminate these rattlesnakes, we got to, you know, like humans have to go out and kill a bunch of them, cull them, you know, just supporting the indigenous species often will correct the, if there are too many rattlesnakes or too many of a certain type of animal, like you just support the balance of the species in that mm -hmm. area. And usually things will kind of sort itself out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of conservation can also be supported, you know, globally by supporting indigenous people. Yeah. Because uh, a lot of them living on the land, uh, a lot of them have really great cultural practices that actually, you know, in intentionally and incidentally uh, protect a lot of these land spaces. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's one of the greatest tragedies of, uh, you know, the natural history of the United States that, I mm -hmm. mean, the, the cultural genocide of the people who are living here before white settlers came yeah. here. Also, in addition to it being a humanitarian crisis, of course, right. is also an ecological crisis because so many of the yeah, practices yeah. that had been developed over thousands and thousands of years that helped cultivate the the natural landscape were lost or even made illegal, like the yeah. way that in California, now famously a tinderbox, uh, there used to be controlled burns of the lands. Yeah by tribes that lived in California. And that was made illegal for logging purposes. Mm -hmm. And unf right, right. <laughs> unfortunately, uh, the, that, the, those old strategies of doing controlled burns were really good for maintaining the forests. Yeah. It even would have like these far-reaching effects like helping uh, fish populations by creating these right. these plumes that would shade the rivers. Yeah, so it, it was this amazing way of sort of keeping the land safe, not only for humans, but for uh, animals and flora as well. But then we just, uh, you know, white settlers uh, who wanted to make money from logging made it illegal. And now here we have California, which is just constantly going up in yes. flames. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And something that, you know, a lot of us who, who are educated under, you know, under Western curriculum in school, uh, a lot of us think that humans are separated from the land when the the reality is some ecosystems in, in North America were actively created by indigenous people because they've been here for as much as long as what, more than 20,000 years. Yeah. And that's older than a lot of ecosystems that are around us right now. Uh, so a lot of these ecosystems were impacted by humans who've lived here. Uh, and those humans are a keystone species yeah, now absolutely. and back then. For better and or for worse. Yeah. You know, beavers are sort of our counterparts of one of the other species of animals yeah. that have a very drastic effect on their environment. Although I think, uh, mm -hmm. That's right, at yeah. least in, in comparing to more modern times, uh, beavers are better at being good stewards of uh, their environment <laughs> yeah. uh, than more modern. As inconvenient humans. as they may seem, yes. they are incredibly beneficial. Yes. But yeah, no, it, that is exactly right. It is, I think, so important to remember that there are ways to live with our uh, live with our natural resources uh, and the indigenous species in a way that is productive and non-destructive, and we don't 
Just because mm. something seems kind of scary or dangerous doesn't mean we need to eliminate it. And in fact, by eliminating yeah. it, we can get a have a bunch of uh, compounding problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and those compounding problems can show up as, you know, explosions in the ra- uh, the mouse population. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know about anyone else, but I'd rather see a snake than see 20 mice in my house. Yes. Uh, you know, and, uh, you know, those exploding, you know, like with the white-footed mouse uh, population, I believe that's the right species. You know, they carry a lot of tick-borne illnesses. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can you can see that show up in, in public health. It, it affects us in a lot of ways. It's expensive economically. Um, you know, it, it hurts our infrastructure. Uh, so no matter what your perspective is, you know, protecting wildlife and protecting the planet has a benefit on every single level you could possibly imagine. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, like we said before, these rattlesnakes really don't want to bite you. They want to bite mm-hmm. mice because that is their food and right. they don't want to waste their precious spicy mouth venom on you uh, because <laughs> it is really for them to be able to hunt. When we get back, we will talk a little bit about what happens if a rattlesnake does bite you, why you shouldn't panic, and the mechanism behind the venom and why it is so interesting. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers... Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbionica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbionica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O. 
T-I-K-A.com. All right. So I hope that we have uh, given people a perspective with the rattlesnakes that, no, they are not a scary monster that we should get rid of. But their bites are dangerous. And yes, it is true that if you do not get treatment for a rattlesnake bite, it can kill but because there is so much available antivenom in the U.S., uh, if you get treated, the best time is to get treated as soon as possible and within two hours of being bitten. If you do, your chance of survival is well over 99%. Mm-hmm. And often, actually, rattlesnakes may bite and not even distribute venom. It's called a dry bite, and it happens in roughly 20% of reported bites. That's not to say you should assume (laughs) if you've been bitten that it was a dry bite. Mm -hmm. You should always uh, seek medical attention. But the best thing to do is to make sure you don't get bitten by giving rattlesnakes a respectful distance. So there are some rattlesnake safety things that I think are really important, uh, especially this summer as you're going out and uh, maybe doing some hiking. One thing is always have your dog leashed when you're going hiking. Mm-hmm. Even if you have a really well-behaved dog who will has good recall, it is really good for your dog's safety as well as the safety of wildlife to keep them on a leash because dogs are the most at risk for death from rattlesnake bites because they are smaller and the rattlesnake venom will affect them much more quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, you know, that I have a personal story with that. You know, I lost a dog uh, to a rattlesnake bite. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Yeah. She was a Siberian Husky, a really, really great dog, but you know, we were, you know, we would keep her off leash and especially when we, when we went up to the mountains, uh, you know, as as an adult now and having learned as much as I have about ecology, I, you know, when walking a dog, I always keep them on leash. In addition to, you know, protecting the wildlife, it also protects the people around you. Yeah. But yeah, she was bitten around her face and neck. And uh, unfortunately, the vet wasn't able to wasn't able to save her. She was a little bit older, but, you know, she would still potentially be around if uh, actually, no, she would <laughs> she would definitely be dead by now because uh, she'd be an ancient husky. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, yeah, we lost a dog prematurely to a snake bite. You know, it's something that a lot of people, uh, a lot of people think of as really abstracted, but it's, you know, it's something that'll uh, impact you, you know, yeah. emotionally if you care about your dog. But then on top of that, it, it was not cheap. That was, <laughs> that was a lot of crow fab that they had to give that dog. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, on top of losing, you know, losing what we considered a family member, it also incurred a pretty stiff bill. Yes. Yeah. I am so sorry to hear that happen. Uh, that is so sad. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I think it's something that it's hard to like even imagine that would happen. Like when you're taking your dog on a walk, you just don't, you think about maybe keeping them safe from cars, but from snakes, it just mm-hmm. isn't, it isn't something that we're necessarily aware of all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And cats as well yes. can also. Uh, can also be a pretty big danger to to I almost said to dogs. Yes, to dogs, but to snakes. Uh, yes. Cats are you know really quick. They're very nimble, uh, and they can wear a snake down. Uh, and while you know a lot of people do enjoy seeing a, a cool video of a cat beating a snake in a fight, uh, the reality is that you know the loss of these snakes 
again, causes a lot of damage. Yeah. Uh, and if your cat does get bitten, that's a very serious bite for your cat to manage and hopefully get home from. Yeah, yeah. I mean, keep keep your cats and dogs safe and keep wildlife safe by just keeping them, mm-hmm. uh, you know, keep them separated. Like your, your cat and your dog is, uh, they're lovely companions to have in your home or outside on the leash, but... Uh, yeah, you just want to you want to keep everybody safe. And in order to keep yourself safe from rattlesnakes, you want to read signs and stay on marked paths. Snakes, uh, rattlesnakes are not aggressive. They want to avoid you. So if they know there is a well-trodden path where lots of people use it, they're going to avoid that. Yeah. If you wear boots, thick socks, and long jeans, that actually does offer a good amount of protection, especially like thicker jeans. I'm not talking like jeggings, um, but <laughs> but yeah, like ni- good quality thick jeans will actually help prevent uh, some of the injection of the venom. Uh, and so if you have to walk in an area where your sort of your ankles are brushing up against a lot of brush, uh, wearing stuff around your ankles is going to help protect you. Uh, and of course, if you see or hear a rattlesnake, do not panic. Just stop where you are. Calmly try to locate where the snake is, like listen for it, look around. And once you have located the source of the rattle, just very calmly back away because the rattlesnake mm-hmm. is scared of you right now. So if you make a sudden, like if you run or make a sudden movement, it's going to also be startled. Uh, so you just want to, you right, know, right. You, you see the snake and you calmly kind of back away. You don't want to startle mm. it. You don't want to run. And if you are bitten, again, don't panic. Rattlesnake bites are highly, highly survivable. You will survive if you get treatment. You don't want to run and you want to limit your movement because you don't want to like the the more you run the more you move around like the more your heart beats mm-hmm. uh it'll kind of more quickly distribute the venom so if you call emergency services see if they can come pick you up where you are and then just kind of sit down and rest of course away from the snake but you know just kind of try i know it's like you're probably it's easier uh-huh. said than done <laughs> to not panic yep yeah but you just want to kind of sit and rest Um, If you're somewhere where you can't get picked up uh, and taken to a hospital. Um, But it's also incredibly important to call poison control. Mm -hmm. That's something not not a lot of people talk about. And the reason why is that poison control will be your advocate when you're speaking to a medical professional. They are the ones that know a lot about venom. Uh, They know a lot about toxification. And they will advise your doctor on how much uh, antivenom uh, to give you. And that's really important because, you know, if you're given too little, you may you may uh, experience envenomation effects later on from it not being neutralized. So you definitely want to speak to poison control um, and give them a call. If you got an iPhone, you know, hit Siri and have her call them for you. But it's incredibly important to get a hold of poison control. That is really good advice. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are some kinds of like old wives tales about things you should do when you get bitten by a rattlesnake. Yeah, there are a lot of them. Should absolutely not do. Maybe the most famous one is sucking venom out of the wound. Do not do Ugh, that. Yeah. It's not going to help you. And now you've just got venom in your mouth. 
Right, right. Because, yeah, the moment you're bitten, that venom is, it, most of it is left the area. Yes. And best case scenario, if you, just as you said, if it's in the area, now it's in your mouth. Yeah. Uh, and you can absorb a lot through your gums yes. or any small nicks or cuts in your, uh, in that gum surface. Yes. You've got. Or you might swallow some, yeah, which is got, also bad. You've got mucus membranes all over your mouth and down your throat and you don't want venom in there. You also mm-hmm. do not want to apply a tourniquet. Yes. While it's true Correct. you don't want the venom to quickly, like you don't want to pump your heart really fast and quickly get the venom going, uh, you also don't want to stop the flow of blood because mm. you do want some dilution of the venom. If you apply yeah. a tourniquet, uh, it just means that the venom is going to kill the cells in that area in mm-hmm. uh, much more quickly because it's in such higher concentration. So you may actually need amputation if you apply a tourniquet whereas if you Mm -hmm. do not do that you just kind of calmly wait for emergency services and poison control you may uh after you get treatment have uh no lasting uh ill effects yeah yeah and then on top of that eventually you have to take the tourniquet off and what can happen is all of that venom can exit your arm or your leg at the same time so that it can it can provide an even bigger effect on your yeah. body right after the tourniquet's pulled off. Uh, so yeah, yeah, definitely avoid the tourniquet uh, as much as we all want to be Arnold, you know, <laughs> putting that tourniquet on with like putting the belt around our leg and tugging it with our teeth. Like no. it's cool as it looks. It's not a, it's not a good vibe when you're actually no. out there uh, having having to manage it. If you do have a bandage on you, if you have something like a um, a compression bandage, that actually can be a good option for some snake bites. And when I say compression bandage, I mean wrapping it around your entire arm or down your entire leg evenly, providing even pressure. Right. Uh, and that can reduce the swelling and inflammation that can happen. But again, do not cut off circulation. Yes. Uh, wrap it sort of like you have an injured ankle, you know, that same type of way yeah, like, evenly across like, the whole limb. Yeah, like like a compression socks on an airplane level. You don't exactly, want you don't want exactly. to cut off cir- blood circulation. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So you don't you don't want to panic. Uh, very very few people actually die from rattlesnake bites in the U.S. Even though a lot of people are accidentally bitten. So with treatment, you will be fine. And by relaxing, by and, and certainly by not attacking the snake, you're much less likely to actually get bitten. <laughs> yeah. So it is it is a, a something that is you can cope with. We have so many ways to protect against snake bites and to treat them once you've gotten it. So it is not a reason to panic and like cut your arm off. Don't do that. <laughs> Katie, Katie, can I share with you one of the wildest ones I've ever heard of? Yes. So, okay. So I didn't, I'd never heard about this growing up. I grew up in central California, lived in the Midwest for a while, lived down in New Orleans now, but I had never heard about this until I took a snake course. Apparently some people you know, grew up under the thought that you can actually reduce or treat a snake bite by applying an electrical current. Oh, no. And that one, that one is incredibly wild to me. Wow. Uh, so if you live in an area where that's, uh, you know, that's like the uh, zeitgeist or like the thing people say you should do in response to a snake bite, 
please don't electrocute yourself don't do trying that. to like neutralize the venom. Oh my gosh, don't do that. <laughs> it's just going to hurt you. I love all of these. <laughs> I love, and by saying I love, I don't actually love them. All of these like sort of uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. These, these myths or old wives tales about treating things like jellyfish stings where it's like, oh, just pee, pee on it. And it's like that, that's going to make <laughs> yeah, it worse. Yeah, now you just got peed on. It's going to, not only is it probably going to make it worse, make those like little neurotoxins activate more. It, it's just now you've got you're covered in pee. Like what? No, right, just relax. Right. <laughs> relax. Yeah, and like get you home. don't need to go hotwire a car right. and like fry your arm right. after getting bitten by a snake. Like uh, just chill. Just, like just, wait for the yes, doctor to come. Just chill. And I mean, once you have called emergency services and they're on their way, then you chill. Just relax. And you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you do want treatment though, because yes. rattlesnake venom uh, does. Do a doozy when left to its own devices. Uh, it depends on the species of rattlesnake, of course, uh, but their venom is often highly potent. In the most basic sense, the way that venom and toxins work uh, in general is they bind to receptors on cells, which blocks them from normal functioning, and this can result in cell death. So, uh, snake venom uh, has, it, there is not one recipe for snake venom. There's not even one recipe for rattlesnake venom. There are many uh, mm-hmm. wonderful recipes for deadly venom. They have a number of different acting toxins in it. So the most famous, I, I suppose, rattlesnake, the Western Diamondback, uh, it's that large rattlesnake. It's, I think, the most typical culprit for snake bites because they're the most, you're the most likely to encounter these snakes. And they're found in southwestern U.S. and in Mexico. And their venom works primarily through hemotoxins, so toxins that affect the blood cells and blood vessels, uh, as well as uh, toxins that can destroy other cells and muscle tissue. And so this causes internal hemorrhaging and restriction of blood flow, this is what will cause you the most harm. And this is, you need treatment for this. While it is not the most potent per sort of a drop of venom of rattlesnakes, they are capable of injecting more venom per bite due to their large fangs and venom sacs. So uh, you don't want to mess with the Western Diamondback, uh, but it is very treatable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and one really relieving thing is that, you know, when you get, uh, when, or not when, if you get bitten by a snake, especially a venomous one, you don't actually have to identify the snake. All you have to do is if you go to the doctor, you're just like, I got bitten by a regular, regular, any sort of snake, a uh, venomous snake in <laughs> Joe your Joe any snake. And we, right, exactly, Joe snake. And... You can get treated with this with a singular type, one of two types of antivenin. Uh, and so that is a huge relief. Back in the day, we used to think that you had to identify the type of snake and all of that. No worries. You can just go. You don't even have to look the snake in the eye after it, <laughs> after it happens. Uh, and the doctor will be able to treat you with Crofab or Anavib. Um, but what's really important is that, uh, you know, in the past with uh, with those venoms, people used to have strong allergic reactions to them. That's not a case anymore. We've actually figured out how to produce them where there is a very low, very, very low likelihood of a person having an allergic reaction to them. So you should theoretically be able to get the maximum dosage to handle that uh, without any risk of uh, anaphylaxis or anything. 
And, you know, if that does happen, you're in the perfect place for it. <laughs> All you have to do is get hit with an EpiPen and you're good to go. Yeah, the hospital is the best place to have a medical emergency. Exactly. But yeah, I mean, so do we still actually use horses to produce antivenom? Yeah, yeah, we do. Um, it's It's a wild, complicated process, you know. So they essentially they get sort of like the Napoleon treatment uh, <laughs> where they get this very, very small amount. OK, so the, how the whole process works is a snake gets milked for their venom, which essentially means that a snake is taken a venomous snake like a rattler uh, and they are uh, they're made to inject their venom into a cup or a flask. Uh, that amount of venom, a small amount of it, is injected into a horse. Not enough to harm the horse or anything like that, because, uh, you know, they chose an animal that's incredibly large on top of that. So their body produces this uh, this reactive response uh, that produces their own sort of, um, I want to say, uh, essentially an antibody response. Yes. So we're able to take those. Uh, we basically take blood uh, from the horse. We spin it separate out those antibodies, especially the stuff that's in the plasma, I believe. Um, and then we have learned and figured out this process where we can essentially cut that up. And so in the past, we would take that and it would have these cell markers or these markers on them uh, that were very specific to the horse. And when people would get that uh, antivenom, uh, our bodies would respond to that. You know, we've, our bodies would say, oh, this is a foreign substance. And thus our, body would, our bodies would attack. Uh, and cause this allergic response. Uh, but we figured out a way to cut out essentially the markers that show that it is from a horse. So our body just lets it lets it ride. It's like, all right, great, you got a passport, get on the plane, let's go. Uh, and so they, you know, your body can actually utilize uh, this antivenom as though we produce it ourselves. It's like the opposite of a Trojan horse. It's like the Trojan, no, this isn't from a horse. Uh, so it's, it's like a giant us. person walking and a bunch of horses are inside. That's, <laughs> yes, exactly. That's kind of like the vibe. It's the reverse Trojan horse. Yeah, the reverse exactly. reverse Trojan horse, giant person, a lot of horses inside, <laughs> and the horses help you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The horse Trojan. <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah. 
Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. So we've talked about rattlesnakes, those little rascally spicy noodles, but they are not the only pit vipers found in the U.S. And I'm going to talk about just a couple of them. So first, I want to talk about the cottonmouth. They are found in the southeastern U.S. and they look kind of similar to a rattlesnake. Uh, I'm sure for someone who is familiar with rattlesnakes, that would be very offensive for me to say. But they, uh, you know, to to someone that just, you know, it's like, oh, that's that's a snake. Yeah, they kind of look like a rattlesnake, mm-hmm. but they do not have a rattle. Uh, instead, uh, it will display its mouth to potential threats. So it is mm-hmm. venomous, just like the rattlesnake, and it doesn't want to waste its venom on you, silly human. It will try to warn you by coiling itself up and opening its jaws really wide, which reveals this like kind of white, little bit pinkish lining in its mouth. And that is where its name Cottonmouth comes from. Yeah, yeah. And the Cottonmouth will tail rattle in in addition to that. Yes. Uh, But instead, it's slapping its tail against sticks and leaves around it. So it produces a similar sound but just not with a specialized mechanism. Yeah, exactly, which is really interesting when you think about these. These are mm-hmm. all pit vipers. They're somewhat related. Uh, do you know if this is like a case of parallel evolution or did they like have a common ancestor who had that sort of shaking mechanism? Yeah, so that is the question. You know, I, because a lot, of, a lot of snakes do it uh, in the U.S. I've seen rat snakes do it as well. I've seen uh, king snakes do it. So I, what I wonder is if snakes have been doing this and then the rattlesnake just developed a specialized mechanism. Mm-hmm. Or maybe the rattlesnake was doing it and a lot of snakes are mimicking it. I genuinely don't know the answer to that. Um, that one is, I think it's a, still a question yeah. that's up in the air, though papers may have been published recently yeah. uh, that have some sort of clue or idea. I got to renew my subscription to Snakes Monthly to uh, <laughs> to find yeah. out. But yeah, they also, they will also, in their threat display, they will release a foul smell from their anal glands. Yes. And they they will hiss. And so they are like a cat, a skunk, and a snake all in one wonderful Mm -hmm. little package. Yep. Its Latin name is, oh boy, I'm going to butcher this, but let's give it a try. Agkistrodon piscivorus. Oh no, piscivorus. Piscivorus, yes, as Agkistrodon piscivorus mm-hmm. <laughs> flows right off the tongue. 
which means f- <laughs> fish hook fish devourer because these are semi-aquatic <laughs> snakes and they will eat fish. They have even been known to sometimes eat very small baby alligators. Mm-hmm. They yeah. they don't actually so even though they eat fish, they are really bad at fishing like underwater. They're not like cruising underwater getting all the fish. They actually rely on dry seasons where water will dry up and fish or tadpoles or amphibians will get mm-hmm. stranded in these small puddles and then just have a fun little buffet. Yeah, yeah. I f- and, you know, a lot of times people get the uh, the cottonmouths mixed up with water snakes. Yes. Uh, who are also uh, aquatic snakes. But, you know, leave them both be. Yes. Enjoy. Because cottonmouths are my favorite venomous snakes. They're absolutely gorgeous to me. Uh, you know, the black and gold of their bodies, just like the saints. Let's go, New Orleans. <laughs> but, you know, they, on top of that, you know, they're pretty sassy little ones, too. And I, I just, I cherish yeah. them. They are beautiful. They are truly gorgeous. I mean, obviously, they you don't want to cuddle these. They are venomous uh, and you don't want to mm-hmm. get bitten. But they have kind of a sweet personality uh, when it comes to their young. So there are some observations of female cottonmouths protecting their newly born litters. And they give live birth. Mm. So like, and I believe that's also the case for other rattlesnakes and other pit vipers. Uh, They don't lay eggs. They give birth to live young. And so they will have these sweet little babies that they want to protect. Not typically what we think of when it comes to reptiles. We don't think of them as being active parents. Yeah, shouts out to them. I I didn't, I wasn't aware of that, you know, and I I love that. I love that the idea that, you know, a lot of, a lot of reptiles, you know, a lot of them, you know, they, they leave their young to do their thing on their own. But some reptiles really do make great caretakers, at least in the early days of their offspring's life. Yeah, absolutely. And at last, we are going to talk about the eastern copperhead, uh, which is another pit viper. I think these are gorgeous as well. They are a lovely coppery color um, with brown cross bands. I'm probably a little biased because I am a redhead, and so... I just feel solidary <laughs> for every redhead out there. These are beautiful snakes, yeah. uh, and they're they're pretty they're pretty thick. So they are not slender snakes. They they are built pretty thick, which I think makes them pretty cute. Mm-hmm. And they live in wooded areas in the southeastern U.S. They are venomous, but they are very shy and will freeze upon seeing a threat. And so what's interesting is their shyness and their quietness actually makes them a little tricky as like big blundering humans because they're so Mm -hmm. well camouflaged. Uh, We may accidentally step on them or brush against them and they really don't want to bite you. But if you touch them or like, especially if you like uh, get a foot down on there, they're going to freak out and they may bite you. And they do vibrate their tails defensively, but without the rattle, they are a little harder to hear uh, than uh, rattlesnakes mm-hmm. or uh, larger snakes that have a more powerful rattling sound. But they are not trying to trick you. They are just little little shy guys, and they're trying to hide from you. Little, little shy yeah. spaghettis. Yeah, well, they do operate with some trickery. And what I mean by that 
is, you know, earlier I was talking about the biofluorescence of the rattlesnake's tail. Uh, the copperhead also uses biofluorescence. Uh, when they're young, they develop what's called a caudal yes. lure. Uh, so it's basically a tail lure that they can use to draw in small animals that are interested in a worm-like looking creature or even a small bird. Uh, they'll utilize that lure and draw prey to them when they're really, really small and really, really young. Yeah, I love that. I think that's also the case for the cottonmouth. They have that little, yeah, that little bright. Uh, you can actually see it. Um, the UV is really interesting. I didn't know that, but you can actually yeah. see it with our own uh, inadequate mm -hmm. human eyes. It has a kind of light yellow, yeah. green tip to it when they're young, mm -hmm. which is interesting. It's almost like training wheels for them to be able to lure and prey while they're young and uh, inexperienced. Yeah. And so if you are a small animal, a small vertebrate, yes, they do try to trick you. But for... Totally in danger. Yes. But for uh, <laughs> for humans, they just want to hide from you. Uh, and in fact, they are kind of sweethearts. Sure, you don't want to mess with them. Mm -hmm. But when they bite, they tend to issue a warning bite where they don't use much venom or even a dry bite. I think they are one of the pit vipers with the highest rate of dry bites because they really don't want to waste their venom on you. It it seems mm -hmm. kind of polite, like pacifist behavior, but it is kind of in their own <laughs> self-interest because they just they don't want to use up the resources of their bite. And because they're so well camouflaged, they are really hard to see. That is the defensive mechanism they rely mm -hmm. on the most. So they're hoping that with that combination of camouflage and maybe like a little warning bite that you will just walk away and they are not going to have to waste mm -hmm. their venom on you. Yep. But that being said, even if you do get bitten, always assume it's going to be or always assume it is a venomous yes. one. Uh, and actually, <laughs> a good way to tell if you're if you experience a dry bite or not is it should start hurting pretty immediately, you know, more than like an ouch. Yeah. Uh, you know, so if you get bitten by a snake and you experience any sort of burning pain or any sort of swelling, you got venomated. Yes. Uh, so, yeah. But, you know, I I love that uh, cottonmouths and copperheads, they have this really nice, because they're very closely related snakes, they have this very flat top to their head. Mm -hmm. And it it almost looks like you could put a little tiny plate on their head and like a little <laughs> tiny or maybe a tiny top hat. Just wonderful. I, I cherish these things yes. so much. Two of my favorites. Plus, uh, you know, cop cotton mouths or copperheads, sorry, uh, also have these little Hershey kisses along their bodies. Yes, they are. They're adorable, in my opinion. And so with uh, with that coloration, you know, they kind of they really do stand out. Um, among the other snakes, not amongst the leaf yes. litter. Yes, yeah, it's that the coloration that makes them so pretty when they're against like a white background actually really helps them blend in. But yeah, no, they are absolutely lovely snakes. Uh, you don't want to get bitten by them, and you probably won't if you leave them alone. But they're very sweet despite their <laughs> their venomous nature. Before we go, we have to play a round of the mystery animal sound game. Every week, I play a mystery animal sound, and you, the listener, and you, the guest, try to guess who is squawking. Last week's mystery animal sound hint was, is it a helicopter, a jackhammer, a lawnmower, or something from Greek mythology? 
All right, I'm excited. I'm ready to go. So, Alexi, who do you think is making that sound? Okay, so what were my options again? It was something from Greek mythology. Yes, is uh, it a, a helicopter, helicopter, a jackhammer, a lawnmower, or something from Greek mythology? Oh, my God. Because my, my instinct, based on, yeah, just, just going off of my gut, I want to say it's, it's like a cottonmouth tail rattling, mm. but... It also still could be, it could be a jackhammer, but the way it ended <laughs> didn't quite sound like a jackhammer. Uh, um, it, could I get that one more time? Sure. Could I get that in my ear. Maybe it's a cottonmouth snake operating a jackhammer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Its tail is sprung like Tigger's. Um, I, the way it ended didn't sound quite like a jackhammer, but it sounded like one in the middle, but I'm, I think I'm still going to go with jackhammer, like something (laughs) about that. I I, like, I want to choose the thing that doesn't feel right. (laughs) So jackhammer, jackhammer it is. Well, it is actually something from Greek mythology. It is the Hercules (sighs) beetles wings beating. Uh, What? Yes. So That's, that's awesome. All right. (laughs) <laughs> so it sounds like a lawnmower to me. If I heard this, I would not think it was coming from a massive insect. The Hercules beetle is a species of rhinoceros beetle and is found in Central and South America. It's one of the biggest flying insects in the world. It has these hard yellow exoskeletal plates over its wings And the males have these two massive horns. One comes from its head. The other comes from its frontal thorax. And they use these horns in combat with other males to try Mm -hmm. and compete for mates. And when they fly, they sound like little jackhammers buzzing through the air. That's so cool. Uh, Something that's really interesting about large beetles like that is a lot of them spend the majority of their lifespan as a grub. I think some of those larger beetles in South America could could spend up to about three years as a grub uh, or in their larval state. And then they only spend about, some of them, only 100 days as adults. You know, so that that form that we're familiar with, that Hercules beetle and like those very large ones, uh, that's actually the shortest part of their lifespan, which is pretty wild to imagine. And they're absolutely massive uh, larvae as well. Like, it, it'll cover mm-hmm. your entire hand. It's really cool. Yeah. I've been bitten by smaller grubs, and I couldn't imagine getting bitten by <laughs> Oof, that. <laughs> no. I could imagine carrying it around in a little baby Bjorn, though. Like, this is my baby. <laughs> Don't insult it. Yeah. <laughs> they pull back the the hood of the yeah. Bjorn, and all of a sudden, it's this big, beautiful grub looking big, at Big, beautiful him. grub, Yes. So on to this week's mystery animal sound. The hint is, if you hear this coming from the walls, you're in a heap of trouble. All right, could you hear those little little tapping sounds? Yeah. I, uh, I don't... What, what is that? Is it a demon? I, a ghost? Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's the kids beneath the stairs. Uh, is it the borrowers? It 
That is such a good guess. I remember <laughs> I remember reading The Borrowers as a kid, and I just loved leaving out little things for them, like little buttons, little thimbles. Yeah. I've, didn't the movie have Nathan Lane in it? It did. That was a terrible movie. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. I just remember. Don't from, tell the producers. <laughs> I remember from that movie they had one of the little borrowers get like stuck in like a dog turd, and it, it was horrifying. It was <laughs> horrifying. Yeah. I did not. Oh my god! They played it off as a joke, but for like a ten-year-old, that was just like a nightmare—a total nightmare. In real life, that person would be incredibly sick for a long time after that, too. These little borrowers getting (laughs) sepsis from dog poop—a horrifying. Uh, They need the tiniest doctor possible. Yes, there's a a a cuter version of a movie adaptation is like the Secret World of Arietti. I think the uh, the Miyazaki movie. That one's cute. That's a cute one. Yeah. I haven't seen that one, but I've, all of the art for it looks really, it's very, really adorable. It's very cute. And, Much cuter mm-hmm. than the Nathan Lane version. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you have uh, borrowers in the wall. Let, let's hope it's that. Yeah, instead of whatever else that could be. <laughs> You'll find out the answer next week, next Wednesday, for the next episode of Creature Feature. Uh, Alexi, thank you so much for joining me today. Where can people find you? Yeah, so you can find me online on Twitter at alhindify. That's at A-L-H-E-N-D-I-I-F-Y. Or if you like the sound of my voice, you can check me out on the We Out Here podcast, uh, where my co-host Allison and I uh, speak to scientists and uh, naturalists about, you know, what they do in science and nature. But it's primarily a storytelling-based podcast where people... They come on, tell their stories, uh, and we all have a good laugh and enjoy ourselves. And if you're a person who has a story to tell of science and nature, hit me up on uh, Twitter or anywhere else. I love storytelling and I love nature, so it's a wonderful podcast. Do check that out. Uh, and you can find uh, the podcast on the internet at Creature Feature Pod on Instagram, at Creature Feet Pod on Twitter. That's F E A T, not F E E T. That is something very different. And if you think you know the answer to this week's mystery animal sound game, write to me at creaturefeaturepod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show and you leave a rating and review, I read them all. They make my day. I print them out, I paper the walls with them. Uh, <laughs> and thank you so much to the Space Cossacks for their super awesome song Exolumina Creature Features a production of iHeartRadio for more podcasts like the one you just heard visit the iHeartRadio app Apple Podcasts or hey guess what wherever you listen to your favorite shows see you next Wednesday are you ready to take charge of your health journey look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, The CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org.
That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.